You're listening to Pocket Jaces, the podcast where your hosts Kieran, DJ, and Niall discuss the overlapping worlds of Magic: The Gathering and poker with you, one concept at a time. Except for this week, um, Kieran is busy doing something, probably drafting on his tablet in bed or something. Uh, but we have a, a very special guest again this week. We have um, longtime friend, nay brother of the show. David C. Murphy. How are you, Dave? You all right? I'm doing well. I, I prefer exceedingly uh, average guest would be a better introduction. But <laughs> Well, I mean, you were so popular the first time, we just had to have you back the second time. Oh, course, and I am so looking forward to doing a little episode with my good friend Dave, because I missed, I missed out on the last one. You did, you, you did. did. It's been uh, been the first time I think me, you and I have been uh, just chatting among us in, in ages. We, we go way back, all the way back to old Irish magic. Oh, we do. Yeah. Wow. Um, we might have some stories then by mm-hmm. the end of the show. Yeah, that that would be a good one. But let's let's do let's do a roundup of how everyone's doing this week. Let's start with you, Dave. Any crack this week for you? No, no. COVID work is uh, weird as always, uh, and this limited format is kicking my ass. But I think probably broke historic. I uh, I I've I've also felt uh, the other topic in this podcast. We mightn't talk about it as much, but improving little bits of poker. Taking kind of the last okay. week or two uh, off because of because um, of the new format and my ADHD doesn't let me concentrate on two things at the same time, so of I have yeah, to I have to switch to one of them. But uh, previous stat was doing a bit better at poker than I had been before. So yeah, you had a couple of results, Dave. Why don't you speak about that a little bit? Ah, uh, just a couple finishes, just some nice consistent finishes, a couple deep runs. But uh, I think my mentality is great for it because. Um, I don't want to say it's nonchalant, but I'm just happy that I'm finishing. I remember mm. being in it with uh, Kieran, and Kieran was more excited that I was running deep in the tournament than I was. I was just like, yeah, there's a money jump coming up, so I better just wait it out. And it was very uh, methodical. But uh, I don't know. Um, I'm a kind of guy that kind of absorbs info. So people can learn a lot mm. faster than I can, but I can come back to things continuously and find that I've improved almost by just being around people that are talking about it a lot. It takes me a bit more time to get that info absorbed, but I think <laughs> I get rewarded by sometimes just stepping away from something and coming back. That certainly happened talking to uh, you guys and the likes of uh, Sean Lynch and um, hmm. just absorbing the information passively and then going back when I have more of a, more fun or more attention devoted to something, you know? Well, that's good. Very much so. That's good to hear that, uh, you know, we're actually helping people with our... Uh, you know, experts' advice. I would say, um, no, fa- of fantastic, better than any solver on the market. Actually, uh, it's 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 what I'd say. This podcast is better than any solver on the market, but it it that it is true of nearly anything in life. It is, it's true of anything in life. Though, if you want to get better at something, uh, one enjoying it is a huge boon. But two, just surrounding yourself with people who are better than you is always going to yeah. uh, improve you. And I was. No doubt, probably the worst, if not one of the worst players in uh, our poker play group. Though none of it is, was very serious. It's just playing amongst each yeah. other, obviously. But it's still nice to improve with things. Same, COVID has given me a chance to get better at poker, get better at chess, and stay pretty average at Magic. But let's, let's not dive into that too hard. Yeah, I mean, it's uh, you're definitely the same as me, Dave. I'm, I'm quite... I, I, I don't I don't mean to disparage you, but I'm just drawing a comparison towards to, uh, you and I. Quite slow on the uptake, but once I really get something, I start to really get it. Yeah, you know, and I, you're you're definitely the same, you know. And 
Man, seeing what was impressive with you over the last couple of weeks was not just seeing one little result, but seeing the results start to string together, you know, and that was really, really reassuring and really encouraging. And um, the poker player you are today is light and day from where it was. We've been doing this kind of a year now, really sitting on Discord, you know, talking poker. And it's just your decision making process, your logic, your perception of in-game awareness of where ranges expand and contract. It's all just really coming together, so well done, man. Yeah. Oh, thank so you so much. We, we, we didn't tell you before you came on, but uh, we have to do a little good cop, bad cop dynamic here. So Niles raised oh, you no. up really high. I'm about to tear you the <laughs> fuck down, son. You are the worst goddamn poker player I have ever seen in my goddamn life. What but are you, you doing with your life, you son of a bitch? But you have seen me. Uh, I, I mean, I... I I have seen you. I I can see you right now. That's true. Uh, All right, uh, go ahead, go ahead, Dip. No, yeah, I just wanted to thank you guys. Like listening to like the podcast and just you guys talk about poker again passively just helps. If uh, also helps peak interest, right? Like I, I'm not the kind of guy that can keep hold interest in anything but magic, apparently. For a long amount of time, so. <laughs> and uh, as anyone listening to the podcast knows, you two are very good teachers, very good at breaking this stuff down. Oh, well, thank you. Uh, we, uh, we what about you, that. DJ? Any, any any crack? Yeah. So this week's actually been pretty action packed. Um. So mm. I got my second vaccination today. Woohoo! Oh, congratulations! Um, thank you. Um, it is. I think it's. I think I'm starting to kind of get some side effects. I'm sitting here feeling kind of groggy and bleh, but um, that, it, it's fine. Uh, better to be uh, ill for like 24 hours than, you know, have COVID. Right. So, um, but yeah, got that this morning. Um, last week, uh, been playing been playing a lot of Magic, um, and I am really enjoying this limited format. We'll talk about it later in the podcast, obviously, but that's what I've been doing. I've been drafting this set a lot and on saturday was uh for anybody that might have tuned in to our dragon ball super episode that we had dragon ball super regionals uh last saturday the first tournament i ever participated in uh started off 4-0 and ended up on stream featured on stream in front of a couple of hundred people playing this card game that i've been playing for like two weeks and i got absolutely fucking destroyed it was not even close i like i had the worst draw uh that i have ever had with that deck it was like a one in a thousand type thing and yeah i got absolutely demolished but um we we kind of rallied back and we had a winning in um in the last round if we won uh that round then I thought I was going to Worlds. It actually was only Nationals. Um, uh, oh, yeah. <clears throat> but uh, we lost that one, unfortunately. So we finished 5-3 on the day. And honestly, if uh, top 25% got extra prizes, and if somebody had offered me t- top 25% at the start of the day, I would have snapped their hand off. I, all, all I wanted right. to do was not be embarrassed. And I, 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 th- I think I... Uh, gave a pretty good good account of myself in the end, so um, pretty pretty happy with how that went. Um, no real poker, but I believe Sunday is the final day of scoop and the phases. Uh, mm-hmm. Phase day twos. 
Um, so I'm going to be playing Sunday, going to be putting a, a long one in. Um, I, uh, I'm going to request Monday off work tomorrow so that I can have a really long one if I want to. Um, so we'll, 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 we'll see how that goes. Um, I am excited. I, I, I'm looking forward to it. I haven't had a proper poker session in about a month. So, um, yeah, we'll be doing that this Sunday and bringing you a victory podcast next week. I am sure. I'm positive of it. Yeah. Fantastic. What, what, what other result can there be? What, yeah. One of us has to win something. <laughs> has to be. Has to be. Yeah, I'm, I'm the same. I'll be putting in a big, big grind on Sunday. I haven't put in a big Sunday grind in, in a good while. I've been kind of on magic for the past couple of months, but um, this week for me has been just work and coming home and eating and sleeping. So work has just been... I think we're just kind of in work on the tail end of the COVID kind of stuff and we're kind of getting wrapped around it now. So that's that's good news. Apart from that, I've been kind of on a, a bit of a health kick, trying to eat well, sleep well and exercise. Nice. And um, that's been good because without that, I'd probably just like work and sleep, honestly. Yeah. If I hadn't have prepared myself that way, you know. Um, um, I've started trying to eat better, and that has included the purchase of Huel. Has, that, has anybody ever uh, heard? Dave, do you know what Huel is? Pro- no. it's protein, whey protein is it? Um, it's not. It's not. It's not necessarily protein. It is like a powder, like meal supplement thing. Yeah. Um, oh, I've, I've heard it, of the type of thing. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's more than just like a protein shake. It's like all your vitamins, all your minerals, um, all that kind of thing. Um, it's like oats, flax seeds, peas, rice. Um, Is this a bit like Soylent? I know a, a bit like Soylent, yeah. Um, the regular stuff is pretty bad. Don't recommend it. Uh, the chocolate flavored stuff, pretty good. Do recommend it. I mean, the the thing I've, I've come to terms with over the past six months or so, I, I've actually spoke to Dave about my physicality and my health and things, is that I'm kind of a skinny guy. And into my 30s, I've started to put a little gut weight on, you know, and stuff like that. And I think part of it is that as men, if you kind of build muscle and exercise, everything else kind of falls into place a lot of the time, I think. And I just need to put on put, put a little bit more muscle on. It's never something I've ever done in my life. Sure. So... Here's one that poker players and magic players don't get a lot that I saw from a, a pretty good personal trainer. I wish I could recall exactly who, but it was randomly on my Twitter. Is people really underestimate for this kind of stuff, especially in COVID, um, chores. Like just working around the house. Like I, I know yeah. that. Like just the physicality of getting up, going shopping, washing the car, doing dishes, like being active for that amount of time and what that builds. And if you spend a whole weekend playing poker, like or magic like I do routinely, I hate doing chores, you really feel it on your body. You feel the lack of strength you have for the next week coming up, yeah, you know what yeah. I mean? Like, it really works at you. I, I switched to a warehouse from uh, retail for this for COVID for uh, our gaming store, and the, the physicality straightaway difference, because I've just been a computer junkie over the last little while, has been insane. So yeah, people yeah. really underestimate like what your daily routine brings. And I think a lot of people could be feeling that during COVID. So get, get up, do some chores if you're you're grinding poker or arena this weekend. Recommended. Yeah, I've done 100%. I've done the opposite to you, Dave. I've went from working in retail to working from home for the last year, mm. and I find that my as you put it, my my physicality is just like way down the drain. Like I 
I I I get tired just walking up the stairs now. And yeah, yeah. I think just I think just like uh working in a retail store, a fast paced one as well, where you're you know, in in and out between the till and the back and then you're on the floor and you're tidying things up, like all that's added up in the end over the course of like an mm-hmm. eight, nine hour shift. Um and it helped a lot. But now I'm just working from home, I'm sitting at the computer all day. Um and I don't really get the opportunity to do that much exercise we take the dogs out every so often um but ring fit adventure for the nintendo switch and it's been used once in the last like three months as fun as, <laughs> as fun as fun as it is uh, great game yeah but um i really need to get back into that to be honest the- and, and at the same time i just i just love my shit food too much i just oh yeah i just do I just finished some mac and cheese, man. It's so tough as well because the emotional drain of this time, this last year as well. I'm getting home so often. Like one of my room, you use any kind of anxious little excuse, like oh, one of my roommates is in the kitchen. That's a no go zone for the entire night. I'm gonna order some food and go up to the room. It's, it's done. Yeah. You know, so it's a, it's not so much food for me. It's alcohol. So like, oh, yeah. um, I love a drink, and it was I, I'm. I'm the type of person who would drink probably heavily maybe one or two nights a week, usually on a Friday or Saturday night. Mm-hmm. And that's been with the lads on Discord for the most part. Uh, but then during the week, I would drink like like three or four beers a night, which isn't a huge amount, you know, but it just it all adds up. And if if I drank four beers one night and someone asked me the next day, did you drink last night? I'd say, no, no. I just I just had four beers. You know, when it all it is drinking and it all adds up, it's like four hundred and fifty calories yeah, a beer. I was, about, I was about to say four beers is still like six hundred, seven hundred calories. It's like that's yeah, a it's lot. more than most Jeez. dinners. Like yeah, yeah, that's it, that's it. Anyways, let's 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 uh, we've we've talked about our lives for for enough. Let's let's get get on to oh, uh, what everybody Wizard actually School. wants to hear about. <laughs> exactly, exactly. The Harry Potter so... buff. <laughs> <laughs> the lazy design work that is Strixhaven School of Mages. Now, I'm for, kidding, for but... all for all of the laziness of the flavor that we are throwing shade at here, the design of the actual limited format is superb, in my opinion. Yeah, let's start with that. Go yeah. ahead, DJ. Let's. We're going to go with general impressions. Let's go. Yeah, I I am really really enjoying this limited format. Like, so I think a good gauge for me is that the last maybe three four five limited formats i've maybe drafted a couple of times on arena and i thought yeah you know what that's enough um i i I, i've got all i kind of want out of this format but this format i in the last like three four five days that it's been on arena i've uh i've done about 15 drafts um and i i've been having loads and loads of fun um there i think there are loads of really interesting uh drafting decisions that you don't get in other formats specifically with the lessons um knowing when you should be taking a lesson i think people are starting to take them really highly now and i think that's probably correct at the same time um so if anybody hasn't got on that boat yet of taking your lessons early start doing it um because you do, you you, re- you really don't want to miss out on that added power to your spells that do have learn um right. because generally the spells that do have learn um are just fine by themselves to almost like unplayable whereas sure. with learn they become amazing to pretty good 
I think I think the seal or the floor on all the cards with learn is just this card's pretty good. That's how mm. good everything with learn is. So um, get take your lessons, and yeah, I think I think you'll probably start to see your win rates go up a little bit whenever you're getting all your cool cards out of the sideboard. Um, yeah, format's great in my opinion. What do you guys think? God damn, I hate it because I'm losing. <laughs> Any ideas high or why? I haven't entirely read other people's content. I, I tried to kind of go it not alone. You know, some of you guys gave me info and I'm talking to you and uh, some of us were talking about uh, pre these drafts. We were doing some uh, what we call high picks and stuff where we were ranking the cards. Mm. But I couldn't really figure out what I was doing wrong. And um, an issue with that and some people I was drafting with is a lot of the decks look good. Like Multicolor cards have a high power level. So when you lay them out, they look good. Also, a lot of our decks were really synergy heavy. And they had all the cards that should be in the archetype. They had all the uncommons. They had all the marquee commons. And they were very heavy leaning into their synergies. Which turns out, when I read other people's takes on the format, is the problem. That's not good in this format. The heavy synergy decks get beaten by the card advantage and consistent decks, especially with lessons, a lot of the time. Right. I don't think I was sleeping on lessons. I certainly probably wasn't taking them even high enough, even for how highly I thought they were rated. Uh, but... I wasn't sleeping on them, but still, they're the be-all and end-all of the format. And I'm not quite as high. After knowing this and drafting a bit more, it is a fun format. And I will draft it a bunch more. I have about 25, 26 under my belt at the moment. Um, I'm not as high on it, I think, as DJ, because there's a bit of repetitiveness already setting in. Where the best decks are card advantage heavy decks. And maybe they're going to get counteracted now that like everyone knows about that. But there are heavy card advantage decks that rely on the lessons heavily. And your first type of any one lesson is so much better than the next common. That it makes like mm-hmm. removal spells and card adva- normal card advantage spells obsolete. Like you're talking about taking the... Not, it's not a rampant card. It just it puts it to your hand. What's it called? I don't know the difference. Environmental sciences. Yeah, environmental. Uh, the environmental scientists... Uh, science is, is better than I think nearly any removal spell on the set. A lot, a lot of consensus is it's the best common. It is. But you don't want a second one. But you would take your first one over <laughs> someone commons and I think that makes really repetitive drafting where all the decks right. should likely be three color advantage engines and you should probably just end up in team or or, um, or something like Mardu like 90% of the time you draft. And it's a right. bit like Kaldheim at its peak. Where if you were drafting optimally, you should end up in the four-color snow deck like 70-plus percent of the time. And that's not saying it's yeah. a bad format. It's still enjoyable. It's just that that starts to eke in when you're trying to get to the numbers that I do in draft. I yeah, think. I find myself leaning into the teamer deck quite a lot. Um, with your And you just kind of top out with Serpentine Curves, Leyline Invocations as your common finishers and obviously your fractal, fractal summoning, summoning. Yeah, out, of, out of the sideboards great too um, or uh, assault then, is something yeah. I end up a lot in because I like the, yeah. the make make a 1-1 one, one learn What's a, I, I know no no name so apologies yeah. for people um, oh I can't, I can't remember it either but it's the 2 mana make a 1-1 one, one and learn Elvish uh, Visionary that always yeah. gets a 2-1 flyer Elvish Visionary yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. basically Card, yeah cards, that card, that's, that card's great um, that, I that usually end up be... in red for um, like an elemental masterpiece at the top end, and if I'm lucky enough, the five mana draw four 
um, and then discard an instance yeah. or sorcery. Um, right. Both both so, great finishers. Um, I have a teamer deck that's waiting for me to come back to it once this podcast is over and i think it's the most busted deck i've drafted so far it has like oh, wow. a gnarled professor mascot exhibition dragon's guard elite um there's definitely at least two more busted rares in there um hang on Wait. hang on I, I i'm gonna remember them oh yeah uh tanazir quandrix of course mm-hmm. um that's it actually just just the four busted rares i uh, uh i heard you lost to my favorite card of the set though the sleeper card of the set before yeah, we logged on. So let, let, me, let, me, let me paint the scene for everybody. So I have a 7 7 Dragon's Guard Elite. I have just cast Mascot Exhibition and I am staring down a Prismari Apprentice and I am on uh, 12 life. So, you know, f- feeling pretty good about my situation. My opponent's just dead next turn. They untap, they tap their Alder Mana and they cast. <laughs> they cast I can't remember what the card's name is, exponential apologies. Exponential growth. growth. Yeah. So exponential growth made it a sixteen four unblockable and I died on the spot. Uh, My that, God. uh that was pretty grim, I'm not gonna lie. But it was also pretty funny. Just <laughs> one of those wacky things that'll only happen in Strixhaven. What the that's my sleeper bomb of the set. I think that card is really underrated. And maybe bomb is going to paint sorcery it super speed? Yeah, I think... But Well, you said you're in the teamer decks all the time, right? Imagine the amount of cards in the average teamer deck, I think, that are just great with it. Evasive creatures. The three mana, two three unblockable, I think, is quite a good card in the format. Um, it may... You can combo with a bunch of cards, so Crash True, or it's Crash something, I forget the name of the green cantrip. Yeah. Um, That's in the format. It's called Charge Charge Through. Charge Charge Through. So you have the unblockable guys, you have Charge Through, you have an archetype that generally wants to be on 8 plus lands anyway. Yeah. And it combos with stuff like there's a lot of end of turn bounce, there's like, uh, what's the one mana fight spell? Becomes cheaper if you play uh, the spell. Mage 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 Duel. Mage Duel. So I, I had a draft the other day where I got six wins, and I think all six of them were two costs in this card. And that's certainly anecdotal, and it was I'm it's going to stick out in my memory because it was very fun. I was doing it with Al and a couple of guys on the call, and I'm like, look, it's busted, it's busted. I can never lose a game with it in my hand. And certainly some opponents played into it wildly when they didn't lose to any other card in the format, <laughs> so it does, it does line up like that. But I think blue-green just has a lot of, like... It has a lot of random evasion. It has a lot of random things that give trample. And then on top of that, bounce spells or like the double tap spell being quite prevalent. I think it's really easy in these grind out games to kill someone from like 20 and set it up where no other card in the format does that. Uh, I'm, maybe we're drafting different teamer decks then at this yeah. point. Because all my. Generally, all my teamer decks are. There, there's going to be a couple of uh, the. Um, Flying Frost Links, I'll give you that. Um, but my creatures are generally like huge fractals, um, which That's fair. aren't which don't care about becoming thirty two thirty twos because a pass just jumps in the way and it, it's whatever. Um, I don't know. I I'm not convinced by it still. Uh, the Vortex uh, Vortex Runner is that what it's called? The three mana two three that becomes unblockable whenever you have lands. Yeah, I yeah. 
it is not a card I'm generally looking to play in my uh, Go Big Teamer decks because it's it's just not a card that you need once you get the 8 mana. I think you're just going to be winning the game with other things. Um, and you're, you're not you're not necessarily going to need you know a 3 mana unblockable guy. You just want big huge dorks and other cards that draw cards or make multiple creatures or um, Sure. I, I, I think he um, I don't think he does enough, I guess is what yeah. I'm trying to say. That's a fair point. I've I've always seen him as just good filler that mm-hmm. just has that flexibility of early game fine, late game good, uh, that I've been happy enough with him because the creatures don't hit that hard early on, like against if they, not that many people are going just strict two color that much anymore, but against just a normal silver quill deck, it blocks a lot of the early stuff uh, or uh, against like... Uh, I can't not call, call it Boris, but against the Boris deck, it can block a lot of the early Lord. It can uh, block a lot of the stuff. Uh, but maybe maybe I'm being a bit over enthusiastic about the card, and you could call it a build around. Like maybe not every team, or, like uh, certainly not every deck can run it. Like it's not like I want it and then slam it in some like green black deck, splashing some removal oh, or some bombs. Yeah, yeah, no. it's just it's just not good there where nothing has evasion. It's it's like really specifically. When you have the unblockable guys, when you when you feel like you have enough magecraft that charge through is just a fine card anyway, because the the blue green pledge mage is probably one of the best commons, if not the best blue and green common. Um, so uh, I want I wanted to drill you guys down. Now you've 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 talked you've talked a little bit about what you like or not like. The audience might be thinking here. Well, surely we're a a, a five deck two color format. Um, you know we're playing we're picking a college and we're playing it. Where you guys are talking about. Th- three color builds do you guys think that we're in a three color format primarily is are we playing the 18 lands three colors here no i think you i i think it's just an, another option that's available to you um mm-hmm. like i think that uh the lorehold decks absolutely exist the silver quill the black white decks are uh, very very good yeah. i think dave is right that the two three color decks that you'll primarily be building are teamer and sultai um i don't think you're going to see many other three color decks just because the uh they don't have access to being base green more than Mm. anything um so that's it that's another thing as well for splashing um actually like i do find myself splashing relatively uh relatively easily but it has to come with some thought as well because for example there's no jun shard right so if you're playing black green and you want to splash a red cards there's no jewel land available to you so you have to keep that in mind um obviously everybody's drafting environmental sciences really highly so it probably doesn't matter but you're you you do have to keep in mind that there's no green red jewel there's no uh there's no black red jewel and the only uh there is cultivate and uh the two mana ramp spell that's uncommon that can it's find uncommon, your yeah. splash yeah uh and the and that one turns your mountain into a creature in this instance so it can just be killed so, so your splash needs to be in your shard and not necessarily in a way in a, in a, or yeah, sorry I, in a in a wedge and not a shard right yeah i mean environmental sciences kind of makes that moot but if you don't have an envir- if you haven't gotten environmental sciences yet it's something you do kind of have to keep but, in mind yeah. i think Pl- 
playing at a table, yeah, definitely. What everyone now knows it like cuts out of the bag, pros archery, keeping uh, cards close to chest anymore. A lot of them have just let people know that they take sciences, uh, environmental sciences over everything. Yep. So if everyone's doing that, though, DJ's point becomes very valid, where now you really have to think about it because you're not just going to pick up an environment. I was adding those table at the start of the format. Yeah, 100%. I'm like, yeah, that's yeah. going to come back around. That's fine. I'll just take this stupid five-color card up here instead and wield this like some kind of smooth brain genius. And God, they took it. Ooh, look at the dregs at the table taking the fucking terrible rampant growth, you know? Yeah. Uh, but now that that's the case, you do have to think about it. I think maybe up until this week, you could do that with Reckless Abandon. Just pick the three best colors and hope that some of the multicolor cards mesh over them. Now you got to kind of line them up to be in the proper... Sh- I think it's shard, right? Shard's the right term. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So what about um, the, the mana rock, the letter of acceptance? Are you guys playing that in, in, in some decks? Uh, uh, no, I'm trying to avoid that one where possible. There's just way okay. better... Much better ways to get access to your mana than spending three mana for uh, an essentially do-nothing artifact. For a mana rock, yeah, yeah. yeah. So I... I... I think it needs to be a company... I, I think there needs to be a reason. It can't just be fixing your mana, because that's not good. We already have, like, um, the Rampant Growth, the three mana... I know none of the card's names. I'm so sorry. But the, the, field, the one that... Field, field, field Trip. Yeah. Field Trip. You have stuff like that that really outclasses it. And what, while this format isn't that fast, there, there is a tempo involved to it where the power level of some of the creatures are so high. If you just yeah. let uh, the Boris or the Silver Quill that go two-drop, three-drop, and you take the turn off, you could just be dead. So you need to be accomplishing something with the ramp as well. So some teamer decks want it if they can't get the other cards. But the only deck I've ever really liked it in is uh, Jeskai, that doesn't have access to the green cards. And it wants to play the seven mana um, big spells to catch back up with this tempo. And then like it's playable still, I'm not thrilled about it. But sometimes you need it in that deck, I think. Well, one of the reasons why Field Trip is so good is because the problem you just described is that you took turn three off. Whereas field trip always goes go go always gets the five mana four four, so, yeah. you know l- lesson. So you always go three drop into four four, and you always stabilize the board every single time. And it, it's it's uh, you guys kind of touched on it, but I I just wanted to drill home how powerful this learn lesson mechanic is. It's so so good, and it's just from dot one. I I think I saw. Um, I didn't quite understand how good environmental sciences was, but I understood how good like all the three drop drop lessons were. The ability to go mm. two drop learn into every single tr- time play a three drop. It's like having morphs in your deck. You know, yeah, and they're all free, card wise, and then I having think... the five five mana one to make a four four. It's just every so consistent, yeah. so good. Honestly, I think Dave really, really puts it into perspective whenever he mentions the two mana black spell being elvish visionary that always draws a creature like that's right. insane yeah, like yeah. That, that, that's Absolutely. so so good i i have a very weird story about uh, about that I, I visualize cards like that a lot because it works for me mm, but i have a do. very stupid story with um a hydroid crisis obviously was all starting at standard format dipped in and out of place sometimes but in general wasn't the best it's kind of salt eye builds mm-hmm. and i uh adrian donnelly actually a, a guy you guys uh know had yeah, he'll, he'll, he'll be listening, actually. Shout out to Adrian. Oh, fantastic. Hey, Adrian. Uh, had a discussion with me on Twitter. Uh, I think it was Twitter or Facebook, where we were discussing which Sultai card would see play Hydroid Crisis or those a 4-mana 4-4 with some stupid abilities that are obviously bad in hindsight. 
it had something to do with giving creatures with counters trample. And it was already Hadana's climb in the format. So I'm like, this is the card. This is the top of your curve in this Simic tempo aggro decks. This is going to be really hard to answer and has a lasting effect on the board. And Adrian was like, uh, no, it's Hydroid Crisis. I'm like, no, that's a four mana 2-2. Two, two. Get out of here. Like, we were not who we want to be beating down. And I don't know if it was Adrian or someone else in the conversation explained to me, like, do you like Moldrifter? Do you think that would be still good in standard? I'm like... Yeah, probably. Moldrifter is a pretty good card. That'll probably still see some standard play. Like, what if your Moldrifter was four mana, but you drew one less card? I'm like, uh, yeah, I could get behind that. But what if it was also still sometimes draw two cards? I'm like, yeah, I'm in. That's 100%. Yeah. <laughs> it's a flexible Moldrifter. When someone explained that to me, I'm like, yeah, this card's completely busted. And it's the same with, like, I, I played Hunt the Specimens, and I knew it was good intuitively. Like, I'm playing, I'm like, this feels good. But I was using it as, like, uh, synergy points. I wasn't using it as this just massive card advantage engine that it basically is. I was using it to have, like, these leftover 1-1s to sack or get more pest summonings with them and try and get 52 1-1s to plumb them all away. That's garbage. Don't try and do that stuff in this format. (laughs) It's just Elvish Visionary that always draws you a creature. Or always draws you an environmental sciences to get your land. you want that too? Yeah. Uh, If you draft it properly. I started my notes for this show by listing all the lessons and putting a star beside each lesson I thought was very, very good. And yeah. I put a star beside all of them. <laughs> like, literally, it's like, that's that's insane, that's insane, that's insane. So, Probably the only one is, like, the naturalize or something, which is just still fine in your sideboard. Yeah, yeah. I mean, um, but, here's an, here's an inter- what could be an interesting question, anyway. What do we think the worst card with Learn is? And what's our rating for it? Um, probably the card that, uh, it's probably, um, the, the card that it's, I think it's study break w- one and a white instant tap two creatures. And my reading for that is it's a C plus. Uh, I'm having a quick scan here. Oof, they're just all good, right? Yeah. I, yep. I'll, I'll, I'll get, I'll give you what I think my answer is, but I'm pretty sure it's a C plus similar to Nile as well. The two mana gain for. Yeah, that card's um, just yeah. good, I think. But yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the the card, the card's still good. <laughs> yes, but I'll, I'll change my answer to that. In fact, yeah, that's that is much worse. That, that was about a week my... ago. I thought that card was unplayable, but now it's a C plus for me. That was going to be my answer as well. But as down as I am on synergy in the format, there's still one or two kind of light synergy cards I like and this card combos with them so if you have like zero combos in your deck with it then yeah that's like a C minus and I'd still probably play it because it kind of hoses aggro while I fix my draws well one of the premium witherbloom commons is blood researcher which is a Mm -hmm. one black green menace two two and when you get gain a life it gets plus two plus one plus one yeah cards off the hook like absolutely off the hook yeah that that's the main one I'm talking about like when you get synergies with like the best commons in your archetype as a kind of bonus to a card you'd play anyway but mm-hmm. that's probably the worst one. I, I came very fast up on the rest. I'm like, all of them I knew were good. But mm-hmm. I guess not quite as good as I thought. Like, Rise is one of them. The the black-white one. Where I slowly came up from, like, a C to a C plus to, like... It's hard to put it into Bs, but it might be a B minus. Right. Like, all of Rise them might just be Bs. I, I, yeah, I, I, think, I think it's B minus. Yeah. yeah. I, 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 th- I think the card's really, really good. And I, in the normal decks... It, it might even be better, like, in the lore hole yeah. decks where you can exile your own instants and sorceries and mm-hmm. trigger your um, your elephant uncommon lord. Uh, what's the name again? Quintorius? Quintorius. Uh, yeah. yeah. 
yeah, that that that's busted. Like, so my my take on this is Rise of Exodus is better than the B minus. I think it's maybe a B, or possibly. I I I know this is a bit of a hot take, but maybe a B plus. And the reason is this: I think the, the format is quite slow. Mm. Um, I think that the aggro decks aren't quite doing. I mean, you have silver silver quill. I get it, and I do agree with you guys that you need to be doing something on the board. You can't just sit there. It's, yeah. a, it's a slow format, but it's also a high-powered format. All your twos and threes and four drops are all quite good. There's a, there's a cycle of three drops in each colour, and they're all very good. Um, or each guild, sorry, or each college. But the ability to, like, Rise of Axis is feels like... You know, like the Black Gear Hulk to me? You know, in, <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. <laughs> in, in Ether Reborn? You kill something... You go get your fractal summoning, or or just your four four, and next turn you play a four four. And as long as you have the time to do that, that is what the card does, you know. And I think you do have the time to do that in this format. Um, and I I very much think it's an eighteen land format, a, one of the biggest slam dunk eighteen land formats I've ever seen. It's just you have no shortage of things to do with your mana. You want to hit a land drop every turn for almost the entire game, without question. And every deck has access to a big, massive common X spell. I mean, you just couldn't ask yeah. for a more, so, uh, you know. I, I, I was talking about at the start of the cast, how I'm kind of disappointed at my figuring out of this format. And you should never be disappointed getting help. Like, I, I just read a bunch of articles this week. Or, as you know, I'm definitely a Zoomer and not a Boomer. I absorb my information from Twitter, as you do. Sure. And I found out what I the format was about, and I missed it by a mark. But all the clues were there, and I'm so annoyed at myself for not seeing it. So, like, I've been playing, uh, gather, is not gather specimen, hunting specimens. I think it's the visionary, whatever, whatever the, the the black learn two drop. Yeah, I've been playing that and knowing it's good and knowing it's not good because of the synergy cards. But I couldn't put my finger on why, and I didn't adjust my rating of the card fast enough to kind of reflect that. Uh, one that's a super clue, and what Niall was saying to somebody, Manasinks in the format, Specter of the Fens is good. It's just like a C or whatever. I think that card is just yep. fine. And it's a great mana sink and like it trades with enough things. There's a lot of two uh, toughness creatures. That card is just good. And I didn't get why, but I was putting it in my decks because I had decent results with them. And I couldn't quite get why it was right. good in the format, which is a very stupid thing to say. And maybe I wasn't engaging enough with my games, kind of autopiloting them a little bit. Well, it feels to be like, remember in Dominaria? where it, the, the set really reminds me of Dominaria, by the way. Like, it's just this kind of big, mm. everyone's trying to go over the top of you, everyone else. And it ends up just being this big card advantage engine format. Remember yeah. those, like, one threes for two that everyone thought were really high early in the format because, ooh, you could you could play it early to stop a weenie rush, or you could play it, they had kicker to, like, make, make someone just discard two cards or something, right? Yeah. Um, or you could play it late. And it turns out there was like a shifting point where everyone realized it's like, I'm never playing this on turn two. Like, I just hold this forever. It's a six drop, yeah. You know, it's a six drop. And it's like, when a format's doing that, you know, something kind of very grindy is happening. Um, of course, to mention all the uncommon learn cards are off the hook. Professor of Symbology, Arcane Subtraction, is it? No, not uh, divide by zero. Divide yeah. by zero, yeah. Ob- obscene card. Even the red one that looked a little dodgy. Academic dispute. It gives something uh, reach or makes something block. Oh yeah, obscene was, magic card. Obscene. I was really high on uh, multiply by zero before I knew what the whole card did. 
So I didn't yeah. know it reminded. I thought it was oh, just an unsummon. I'm like, that card's oh. insane as an unsummon and draw card. Yeah. That's that's broken. It's like exclude almost. Except yeah. it is just exclude, and I didn't I didn't think it was. Absolutely. I still thought it was broken. Someone just did it to me one day. I just cast this creature with a come into play effect. And they were like, bounce on stack. I'm like, what? No. Yeah, no. <laughs> and <laughs> what? the red the red Ready. burn spell with learn as well. Three mana deal I mean, three obviously after rate rate. Oh that yeah. oh my god. It's probably that, the that best one's uncommon, pretty common, right? Yeah, I I think yeah. prob in fact I think it's definitely the best uncommon. Yeah, I mean it has uh, to be. Maybe? Yeah, probably. I mean, it, it's academic. It's it's amazing. I mean it's that, um, it's that or it's a prof, right? And it's probably that beats prof. It might be prof. Prof's really good, but I think the nature of the format... If the format was in any way faster, I might say prof, but uh, the, the removal spell gets it for me. Yeah, um, it, It's insane to think of, of a set where uh, Flunk exists, which I think is just effectively Doomblade at nearly almost every point of the curve. Right. Um, it's just outshone. Like, yeah, not close to those two. I was just kind of doing a quick scan there to yeah. see if I saw anything else. But that might be Black's best uncommon, maybe. Could and be, and yeah, I don't think it's close to those other two. No, I don't. I don't think so. Yeah. Are you guys of the opinion? Well, my opinion is that the t- you were mentioning the teamer decks. The blue and green bases are by far the best bases for most decks they, you want to be drafting. Yeah, the, I th- I think they are definitely the most flexible, um, so. and allow you to kind of just go with the flow of the draft. More often mm-hmm. than not, like, you know, oh, here's a good red card. Oh, here's a good black card. I'll take that. Or what, whatever it happens to be and just go down that route. Um, it's definitely the deck I end up in the most. And it, prob- it probably is the best as well. Like uh, They're just the deepest, I think. That's why. Like, they, um, they, they, they have all the... I think they probably have the most powerful things going on. It's common and uncommon. Like, I think Serpentine Curve is one of the best commons in the set um, it's very good. it you obviously have to be in the right deck for it but uh that card the cards just consistently been really 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 good for me like in most other formats that card's like a d in yeah. this format i'm 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 talking like yeah b minus b like i am very very happy with serpentine curves and to kind of put it into perspective i don't think i've ever managed to cast a serpentine curve for less than like a five five on turn like five or six like um it's really really good yeah it's um i'm wondering if people are going to figure out so my my example of the synergy thing is that i think cards like tenured and caster are really disappointing where they should be like bombs and other formats like guides to how the deck works and the best uncommon in your archetype mm. to i don't even really well i like it but i'm not even that high on it in my aggro decks it's a five mana mm. guide that's just smaller than the lessons people get and yep. uh if that's the case we have to figure out what we want out of black white in this format and that cuts out and it rearranges how a bunch of the commons should be Drafted and maybe something like Mardu is a thing, but people are taking their own cards high. I know I, up until a couple drafts ago, I was like mm-hmm. laughing that ink casters were coming back around as so I went one tree do? again and again. Uh, it's the five mana dude that puts a counter on a guy. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And whenever you yeah. attack, it drains. 
Okay. It's the five so... mana dude. It's the five mana. Uh, you discarded a card and you skipped your turn. Yeah. And you went back <laughs> yeah. to your opponent's turn. Yeah, yeah. So um, I think Mardu has obviously a couple of different decks. So you've got the lower hold deck, which is a, a new um identity for red white. Uh, lower hold is a control deck, basically. You're <laughs> you're 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 playing your big things. You're making a million spirits with. Uh, you know the the lord, the elephant lord, or the excavation player around that type of thing. Um, you're playing what I think is the best white common, which is the two one for three that gets the planes, and when it dies, or you can get it back from your graveyard for six mana. It might be the best common for me behind um, environmental sciences. I think the card's off the hook. Um, and then you've got um, so so those decks can splash and things like that. You can splash a black card. Uh, but you've also got Silver Quill, which is our aggro deck. So I find that Silver Quill just wants to do the opposite of what everyone else is doing in the format. You're playing your 16 land. You maybe top top your curve at three, maybe a four drop. Uh, maybe you're playing a couple of Defend the Campus, something like that. You're playing it super low to the ground and playing a load of one drops and going under, basically. Um, have you guys played Silver Quill yet, or is that your experience? Um, I've, had a, I've had a couple of Silver Quill drafts. Um, I would agree, but... I think mostly because the theme of Silver Quill seems to be putting plus one plus one counters on your guys. Mm. Um, I think that pushes it towards a more aggressive base. Um, and then some of your key uncommons as well are uh, you know two mana two twos. So yeah, that pushes it that direction as well. Um, like Killian is really really good. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. I was gonna say and, like. It's not undraftable. It's just that any deck I haven't had, like Killians and stuff like that, have been. I, yeah. I've never felt close to my seven wins. It's yeah, it's under par, being so fast nice. just isn't good enough against a bunch of these decks. And your guys aren't even that fast. You have to have this like perfect yeah. curve of certain creatures right. into certain proactive spells. You can't even play these reactive spells. Cause what, what are you going to do? Kill their four drop after they've played it and before you can attack. That's not great. Have to kill their tree drop for your creature to gain flying. That's not and that's not great either. Even 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 some of their synergistic commons like Star Pupil and the four mana two two with Death Touch, like those just aren't very good cards. The Death Touch guy is just not doing at four mana what the other decks are doing at four and five mana. Yeah, yeah. No, and they can yeah. they can just ignore them for so long or yep. like when you curve out perfectly and then have like a couple spells or a defiant strike into a removal spell, your deck looks like a million books, but if you draw your cards in the wrong order or you yep. have the student and like there's actually such sparse synergy with the student, it seems like every card should basically have a counter on it. It should just be modular. Where a bunch mm. of the ink, ink students shouldn't even have power and toughness. They should be zero zeros with two counters on them or something like that. Right. But instead right. they've given modular to one two creatures in the format like you named. Right. And then this random uncommon, the ink uh ten the tenured ink ink guy that I named, that again, there's like three or four cards in the whole thing that synergize with these counters and the rest of them are Magecraft, and the other ones are trigger like multicolor hard to cast mm. low toughness guys and th it's doing too many things and uh we'll g we can get onto it in a bit but golgari kind of has the same issue all blacks colors have the same issues where they have strong synergies if you line up all the right cards at the right time but draw them in the wrong order or have your opponent just do blatantly powerful things instead and you, you look like a joke mm. well one of the problems for me with 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 silver, silver quill and aggro in general is one of the big boons of aggro and limited is it punishes 
tricky draws that your opponents have. They they punish mana screw. They punish like not hitting a drop, you know, or not drawing right cards. The control deck's not drawing the right cards. But every single deck in this format can play a lesson into a four four, like every single deck, like reliably on turn four or five. So imagine you're playing a format where you get to play aggro, and I told you that every single game someone's going to play a four four in turn five. Every single game. It's like, now, how, how do you see your win rate now? You know, because some aggro decks cannot deal with a 4-4 and turn 5 into more gas. They just can't do it. Um, never you know, mind some, the gas some that comes for it. Correct. Like, so, yeah. some, so, never mind playing 2-drop, 3-drop, blank 4-4. Four, 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 four. You know, some aggro decks just cannot deal with that. Um, so that's been a big problem, I think. So uh, we've uh, we've talked a little bit about um, what what we think of how the games play out and what we think the the the, the risers and fallers in the set are. When you're opening your your first booster, when you're taking your first couple of picks in this set, guys, what are you prioritizing? Are you trying to get yourself into a college pretty quickly? Are you trying to stay open? What kind of cards or what kind of decisions are you making um, in the first few picks of the draft? Or is there a point where you pivot or don't pivot? Um, let, let's start with DJ this time. What, what, what are you, any thoughts on that? Um, I think I'm just trying to stay as open as possible and right. see what is kind of getting passed to me. Um, because I think once you discover what college is open and what mm. you should be in, then it you start to really reap the rewards of that. Um, because there are there's just going to be a lot of like the powerful uncommons that the people to your right just can't take and they're going right. to pass to you because they're already locked into their colors and then you know you've got a pretty open and free draft from there so my first few picks are generally just going to be whatever the most powerful card is in the pack okay. um and I'll try and stay as open as possible. So I might stay away from some of the multicolor cards in the first couple of packs, uh, or in the first couple of picks. But uh, you know, if I get past like Zimone, uh fourth pick, then I'll hop straight into Quandrix and sure. probably not look back. Um, what do you think, Dave? In general, I'd agree. The same kind of philosophy. I think this. Uh... There's so many playables in this set. You're going to be rewarded for staying open. It's what makes taking the experiments, the lessons, or whatever yeah. experimental. I, I can never remember its name. Environmental, um, environmental sciences. sciences. Yeah. yeah, that's someone I'm talking about. Uh, it's what makes taking them so rewarding and taking like the double colored ones, like to make the four four elemental one or the fractal yeah. summoning to make the xx creature one. Uh, because they're they're so open because you're not only starting with a single color card you're starting with a single color card that can go in two different decks yeah, so you can right. stay really open and these cards are actually of a quite high power level so you get really rewarded for that saying that i think in general people are a little too scared to go a little risky with their first couple picks and take big uncommons because the general convention is you are such a lower percentage to end up playing them but if we're taking and prioritizing fixing so hard and we think it's easy to end up in a three color deck maybe some of the uncommons though i haven't played enough i'd have to rank them a bit better maybe some of them are worth hedging on knowing there's such a high percent chance you could end up especially if you end up with uh like one or two lessons you can end up in multi multi-colored decks i also think people are a bit adverse to just dumping cards 
So if there's a good chance you dump your first pick anyway, sometimes there's this high reward mentality to taking a card of an archetype or of a power level that you really like and trying to run with it because it's modern magic. You're not going to end up with not enough playables. And the playables at the C level are of such a comparable level that having enough Bs in your deck is, I think, paramount, especially in a non-synergy-based set, which this set has ended up being a bit like Kaldheim was. Right. Uh, so no, I, 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 I I'm a little less I'm a little less adverse to let's call it jamming sometimes you know just taking the what's that stupid card called the one that uh, deals five damage and you draw one of the top five uh, creative outburst uh, creative one big steps. yeah yeah taking so I, taking I, big I, swings I, I like that sometimes that. yeah I think that's fine especially for the more expensive cards because that card can get jammed into your blue green deck no problem hmm. you know it's it's absolutely fine. Um, I find myself, um, yeah, really picking environmental sciences up really early, really staying open, trying to find my lane, and but again, lanes aren't important because you that much because you can end up in three colors. But I'm finding this phenomenon happening in most of my drafts, and I think it's because we're in the early stages of the format where you get this glut of one college like going around the table, just mm-hmm. this density of like high quality commons and uncommons and you just think no one at this table is drafting this college are you guys getting getting that in a lot of drafts or yeah i'm getting that vibe and i think that's why i think uh staying uh as open as right. possible is the way to go i think that's the way to go in drafts generally to be fair mm-hmm. but um in this format maybe more so than others it's it's so weird, and maybe it's not the case, but it does feel like that happens, and it feels that's a result of people not drafting properly, which you can't count on in a public, you know, arena. But like, there's only eight archetypes. Maybe it's like one of the downsides of this format. There's maybe only actual eight like playable right. pairs, so, excluding some splashes for bombs or whatever. There's only eight archetypes because each color pair kind of only does one thing well. Like, they're right. not doing multiple things. Like, you're not, like, maybe you're getting a variation of a green, a green blue beatdown deck, but again, that's in the, in the five, maybe minus percent kind of category of that happening. Mm. And if that's the case, there's only eight drafters. <laughs> it feels like <laughs> stuff should slot pretty well, but it doesn't. And I've seen, like, ridiculous things, like, not only archetype cards going way too, like, like the green blue pledge mage still goes. Way too late, though. LR and some other people might have fixed that recently. Yeah, I'm seeing like lore hole commands going like fourth pick. I'm like, come on, someone needs to uh, be getting into this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, into this lane, or you see like, um, you see like creative outburst tabling. I'm like, what's one drafter needs to be in this archetype, and if they are, there's nothing they would take over this. Like yeah. I passed it, and there wasn't a rare left in the in the pack, so there's no card you would take over this in that archetype. So what what's happening? And that's just, yeah, the multicolor sets create these how the fuck is still this still in the pack moments where right. just two me- two or three people are in one archetype fighting over it and they either weren't experienced enough or it was spaced out in a weird enough way that they didn't notice. And now they feel stuck and they can't. But I, I think early days in the format, and to DJ's point, uh, we had your co-host Kieran drafting and I shouted at him out of nowhere on Discord to take a random, um, is it, what is it called? Um, Prismari. Uh, Prismari. Prismari. And we take that random Prismari card. He's like, why? I'm like, I don't think you're going to play that last card. It's a C and there's 100 Cs in the set. 
just take it and see what happens. He ends up taking like, uh, I think it's the owl, the the mage that makes stuff cost one less, into a tabled oh, yeah. cre- creative, into a tabled creative, and then wow. start and then just had two pack Prismari where no one at the table was at it, so he got two full packs yep, of all the multicolor cards. And that can happen. That's why you need to stay flexible. That's why you can get maybe punished for taking the big swings. I'm recommending sometimes where he stayed perfectly open. Could reason that his deck was kind of trash compared to the uncommons that were coming around and take a two, uh, two uh, pack draft. No, I, I think there's value in what you're saying, Dave, in the sense that I think these formats like this are more than any other format or formats where you're going to dump your first three or four or five picks. Most, yeah. like, not most of the time, but more often than other draft formats. Um, especially if you've taken very linear uh, um, first few picks. Now, I would advise not to take these linear picks. However, sometimes the draft just works out that way. And you take a silver quill card, and then a black card, and then a white card, and then it dries up. And then that's fine to absolutely dump those those picks and go into another another set of colours. I find myself opening with, as I say, environmental sciences a bunch, but opening with green cards a bunch and opening with blue cards a bunch. And I thought at the start that that was just my biases. And it, it is to an extent, but also I think those two colours are the deepest and also the lend themselves into not only the colour pairs, but the two three-colour decks you mentioned earlier, guys. But also that Prismari itself has two decks. It has the, the late-game deck and it also has an aggro deck. The two-mana 3-3 three, three wall that... Turns off the mm-hmm. wall ability when you cast your um, instant or sorcery. You've got the frost trickster, tri- tri- trickster, which of course fits into every deck, but fits into the tempo deck the best. Um, even a card like you know the five mat is it pigment storm? That's the three and double red yeah. that yeah. shoots something, and then the rest of the damage goes in that tempo deck. It just really piles damage over the amount of games I've won by just having a couple of two two flyers packing in for eight, and then like dealing four of them. Like, it's just, you know, it's it's so huge. So I think those two colors are just, two color pairs, two color sets are just so deep. And then I find myself kind of hesitant to first pick kind of white cards and black cards, you know, just because th- I think those options are a little more narrow. Well, I, I think if, if you look at the best, I think the best green and blue common is both Pledge Mage. The green blue Pledge mm-hmm. Mage is just... It's insane. The best, and in either all the archetypes that lead out from green and uh, blue will play it. The worst one probably being uh, Wither Bloom, but even that has a Magecraft deck that can play a bunch of spells. It doesn't yeah. care, and this card needs two counters to be way above curve for the format. So yeah. if that's the best common, and I think it might be, I don't know if people share that opinion, then you're going to end up in green and blue naturally very often because of that. I think, and because of the, the the cards under, there are a couple cards under that can be argued that are the best common or very high picks, and that's mm. just going to lead you. It, it's like um, it's like a lot of the cards from Kaldheim as well, where if the best couple commons are of the same color, and the the next colors commons are so far below that, so you're looking at mm. the green and blue cards from the last set as well, you're just going to naturally gravitate towards that as the format goes and goes. And those cards also somehow give you the most options. So they're non-linear and they're parallel the best. And one one of the reasons why I think Kaldheim is not going to be a play in either turn two is no one's going to drop a box in two years. I'm going to be like, yes, can't wait. I, I remember all the sweet snow decks that are just seven wolves and a behold. 
Um, yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and I think that I, I think it's the same here. I'm like, oh boy, I can't wait till my opponent underestimates how good Pledge Mage is and passes that to me. That's going to be a it fun draft be. experience. I slightly for disagree. Everyone. I, I I think this this format has a, a potential to be one of the all time greats if the population adjusts and we all draft the way we suppo- we're supposed to. Um, yeah, early days. I think what, what, it's early days yet, and I think we're getting away with some shit. Um, what you said about Quandrix, the, the green-blue uh, guild or college, I was listing good commons, commons of each guild and listen to the amount of... Th- this, And these are multicolor commons that Quandrix has. Biomathematician, that's the 2-2 two, two that creates a, a fractal. Yeah. Eureka moment, that's the, the draw two put a land into play. Mm-hmm. Needleborn Drake, the one the one Death Touch Flyer, which is the worst of the bunch. Which is the worst. And you've got Quandrix Pledge Mage, which is a complete house. You've got four insane commons there that yeah. are all really, really good. You know, it's just so deep. And Prismari's similar. Prismari's got four or five insane. And that's not even counting the, the monocolor cards in the colors. Um, it, just insane cards. Um, it's just interesting yeah. because some of Quandrix's cards go on multiple decks. Right. The, ple- the pledge mage is the big example, and a lot of the other pledge mages don't have that. the 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 white black one is just very much actually a double colored card that is slightly very easier much. to cast. Like you don't need double black or double white, kind of thing. The only other card that's close to it is a uh, I, I don't know its real name because we call it Slurms Mackenzie on, on uh, chat, or at least <laughs> I do. The Tree Folk, the Witherbloom uh, pledge mage. Oh yeah. yeah, that's the only other one that does it, but that's not as high upside. That's like just a well-statted creature with an irrelevant ability the majority of the time, unless you have, unless you're pure Wither Blue. But all the other pledge mages, as far as I'm thinking, like the Prismari one, uh, the red white one, can sometimes go into some Prismari decks, but I've never found it to be satisfactory. Really, you don't pick them high and go, "Well, I'm open." You're like, "Well, I basically picked it." two color cards <laughs> where right, right. both the green ones and one of the blue ones you know keep you usually open and hopefully what that does is when people really well when people listen to LR when people really adjust to their their ratings is it makes that archetype actually quite hard to draft hmm. similar thing kind of happened with snow but that ended up not being a good experience because then you just felt like there's too many the snow decks are just going to win but hopefully people just draft enough Pledge Mages for all their different variations of decks that are so good there that these teamer decks that me and DJ like just become scarcer and scarcer. Or that at least they make you commit. Like you have to make a pick that defines your draft at some stage instead of going, oh, here's another random good green card. Oh, I'll pick up this Needle Drake 15th pick or something fucking atrocious yeah, like that. Yeah. Which is obscene. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And then I'm still just in green going into pack three. If I open this one of the legendary dragons, I can go either way and even splash it. And You want to make people make hard decisions and that only happens if I think everyone's drafting well as well. Right. And we have to hope that happens in this format, I think. I certainly hope so. Um, we'll bring it to any final thoughts on the Format any any cards that you guys want particularly want to talk about anything stick out in your brains that are are quirks of the format that people might have not picked up yet. Uh, uh, I think I think most people are coming around to what the format's all about. Um, yeah. Otherwise, I would be saying pick up your cards with learn, pick up your cards with less, uh, pick up your lessons yep. pretty early. Other than that, I th- I do think that's the 
crux of the format if there is any cards that i would tell people to uh play more of and experience for themselves it's a serpentine curve i i i I think i think that card is really really good please please play it Hmm. i don't know if i have anything that insightful i'll I'll say there's something you, you learn constantly in magic and even if you think you've picked up interactions you're going to keep learning i didn't know the interaction and uh al harrison the good doctor that lives with me um has uh had picked up a piece of interaction that i didn't see work if uh, you mercurial transformation a creature that's taken one damage they'll die i just never really thought of that ah that's a great yeah. one yeah that's a great one um yeah. also I, do not uh i can't remember what the other side of augmenter pugilist is called but it's uh it's choose a target creature you control and all other creatures you control become copies of that creature uh don't target oh, yeah. your fractals oh, of course yeah yeah that or card's do. a bomb by the way that, that card do. just turns into an idiot so much and then you, you target a random flyer and just dome them for 12 or something something great um, yeah, I guess keep your mind open in formats like this at least. Yeah. Uh, and the lesson I've taken from this format personally is you can always be learning and uh, checking your biases somewhat. I certainly didn't and had to get it spoon-fed to me when the rest of the public were prepared to receive it as well. Mm-hmm. But there's always stuff you can be learning even even from people like... Al's a great Magic player or whatever, but he's been playing Magic for like 10 less years than I have. And he still saw that trick before I did, you know? Nice. A little tip I have is all play, play every single scry uh, uh, scry land the campuses play them, even play the even play like only if you have one color of one. If you're playing uh, Prismari and you pick up a a lore hold scry land, being being able to have a land in your deck to scry the amount of decks I or sorry the amount of matches I've had where it's come down to the fact that one person has scryed three times and the other person has not, uh, obscene. And uh, you know the car, the other land that was insane for me was the uh, the Rogue's Passage land. What the fuck do you call that thing? Oh yes, it only uh, does three or less for this format. Yeah. yeah, still broken, still insane. You 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 put it on a three three, and uh, you you then pump it with your spells. Any of the any of the pump guys, you know, you get in for five, and then later on in the game you just dome them three or four, and it's just it's just a. A great mana sink, great great way to pick your mana. All mana sinks are great in this format. They're all great. Hmm. Well, and the reason why lesson and learn is so good. Agree, agree. Cool. All right, guys. Um, finally, we'll move on to the arena open. Um, I, I I'd imagine that the, our our kind of thoughts about the seal format are going to be fairly obvious. It's going to slow down. We're going to play more three color decks, more of our bombs, and all that. Uh, let, let's just finally put put, put in with um, how are you guys going to be pre- preparing for this arena open? Are you guys going to take it seriously this time, uh, this or time. as seriously as you did last time, or what? What, what are you guys going to be doing, DJ? Let's start with you. Um, yeah, I mean, I'm going to be jamming some sealed cues, seeing what happens. Um, I've already done a couple of sealed events and uh, lost quite a lot of gems in them um but i was doing that before i started drafting um so i'd be interested to top into another sealed queue and see how that goes with more knowledge of the formats more knowledge of the tricks etc etc um so 
yeah, I'd be interested in hopping back in and seeing how that goes. But in terms of preparation, it's yeah, it's gonna be um, just running sealed queues over and over again, and then hopping in a couple of uh, a couple of arena open queues and hoping to make that day too. Dave, what do you think? Well, if I win, I have taken it very seriously. And if I lose, of course, I never cared and I hate magic. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I'll be absorbing a lot of content probably because it's quite expensive. I think to test in that way and I'd rather have a couple more bullets than I would have practice sealed cues. 100%. Yeah. And I don't think that was always the case in magic, even when there was more theory articles about limited. It's just now so easy to make com- content about sealed because the open is so accessible to the public. I think a lot of people are going to be dumping a lot of sealed content coming up to it. And between streamers and like podcasts like this, limited resources, Lords Limited, there's just so much info out there that even if you're more of a hands-on learner, whatever you'd like to call that without getting too pop psychology about it, but even if you think you learn by doing more than listening, there's so much you can gain from doing both. And you should just absorb all this content. Even if you plan to, as DJ's doing, just jam a bunch of pools, you should also be listening to these. I'm sure you can listen to a podcast while you're on a walk or on the bus to work. Or instead of listening to one of your uh, customer call uh, clients at the moment from home. But uh, I'm, sure th- I'm sure there's going to be a lot of streamers uh, streaming yeah. practice seals as well. So um, that's Arena. a too as well. Arena has led to, I think, a golden age of limited content where you won't get as many huge, serious articles as you used to because content makers only used to make a couple of big limited ones a year when there was a string of GPs. You'll get it more consistently. It'll be a little more poppy, but there will just be people who have 70 to 80% win percentage in these formats showing you how they do it. And I think the really crucial thing with absorbing that content is to understand it and bring it into your own play. So an example I always have of this is uh, Ben Stark was a person Mm -hmm. in my era of magic who people took as gospel and he would be the super open way of drafting. Like always draft two one decks, like always aim for consistency and staying open. And that's what I believed in draft for years. And then someone like Ham TV, uh, Kyle Rose, I think his name is, who Mm -hmm. is an old school pro and undoubtedly one of the best limited players on the planet constantly and was known for being the best limited player on the planet back in his heyday, he is slightly different where he does take that philosophy. You, everyone, No one's thinking you should jam for his pick that's played more than a year or two of Magic, you know what I mean? Uh, but he has internal biases because of how he's won drafts, and those biases should dictate your draft somewhat. Like, your pick, it shouldn't be, like, back when people first started learning to be good at limited and it's an honest-to-goodness list of cards like they used to do in a Rochester draft, Right. Right. There should be a bit of internal bias. If, you, if you're if you doing great with Sultai every time, maybe you should take the green-black pledge mage higher than other people are taking it. Because right. you have preference of that card. You want to be in this archetype. And you're affecting the draft by taking it at certain stages. And you know even if you take... Um, what's the right removal spell? That's good. Heated debate? Heated debate. Even if you take heated debate over it, if you, you even think 90% of the population is doing that, does that help you if you have a 90% win rate with Sultai? Probably not. Should you be completely closed off to going to Is it? Uh, no, definitely not. But right. you should uh, You should have your own preferences. And how you do that is you listen to players much better than you and see what works for you, not just follow them blindly, mm-hmm. but uh, put, it, put it into practice and make it actionable. 
which I think a lot of people don't. Awesome advice, Dave, as always. Thanks so much, man, for coming on the pod. It's been an absolute pleasure to have you on and uh, just hearing your your pearls of wisdom uh, about magic is always a pleasure. Thanks very much, man. Thanks for having me, guys. Thanks, Dave. Appreciate it. All right. Well, cheers, everyone, for uh, listening this week. Uh, next week, we'll have all the lads back, maybe with a victory podcast from The Scoop. So until next week, thanks very much, guys. Alright everyone, thanks so much for listening to the show today. I hope uh, you guys really enjoyed it and got something out of it. Um, just me for the after show today. Um, Kieran and DJ are off playing Arena or doing something more productive than this. So uh, I wanted to take a little opportunity to um, introduce you guys to uh, a legend in poker, in poker history. Uh, those of you who play Magic um, will not have really heard of, of many of the old old gamblers in the game but poker is a game with a rich and colorful colorful history as, as i'm sure you can imagine so today i'm going to talk about a man called Stu unger so Stu um was a player in the 70s 80s and 90s um he's widely considered to be uh one of the best players or the best player of all time uh, which kind of just <laughs> um to put this into context he's not so you could find not you could find pretty much every professional poker player now is better than Stu Unger uh, to give you a notion of the skill gap but again Stu's playing in the past he's playing before we had all this math worked out before we had solutions but before all this thinking was done about the game and to give you an idea Stu was born in uh, New York and uh, his his dad was a a bar owner and a loan shark and the the bar would turn into like a like an underground gambling establishment uh after hours and despite his dad's best effort to keep keep him out of the gambling world Stu quickly became um a gambler even from a young age and was just surrounded by all these um you know these shady characters and uh the Stu's game of choice early on was uh, a, a game called Gin Rummy. It's a really, really simple game if you've never played it. It's uh, you have a hand of five or seven cards. You're trying to make, um, if you have seven cards, you're trying to make four of one kind and three of another. So a three of a kind and a four of a kind or straight, something like that. And each turn you draw a card from the deck or the discard pile and you discard a card from your hand. It's pretty much a straight maths game. Um, you can kind of get signals about what your opponents are doing from what they pick up and what they discard. Um, but it, it's a very easy game, very simple game. It's um, b- But again, remember back then that they didn't have any hypergeometric calculators or no way to work out these compounding odds with lots of different variables. Obviously, it's, v- it's a very easy mathematical exercise to work out what's the chances of drawing a heart, for example. But it's not so much to do like three or four of those things on top of each other which is kind of what gin requires but so a lot of it was, as you can imagine was probably estimate and um he, uh Stu won his first gin tournament when he was 10 years old and quickly became you know kind of one of the better players in the uh, the New York scene um Stu was 
infamous for his, his arrogance and uh, kind of routinely criticizing the, the play of his opponents that he felt was beneath were beneath him. Pretty much every, everyone, to be honest with you. And one of his most famous quotes sums up his uh, competitiveness. It's, uh, quote, I never want to be called a good loser. Show me a good loser and I'll just show you a loser. So early on in his career, he became friends with a guy called Romano. His second name was Romano. He was one of the kind of mob guys in Victor Romano. That's him in, in New York. And Victor essentially provided him with protection and staking. So Stu's uh, mouth and attitude would get him into trouble around the, the kind of underground gambling world in New York. But uh, he had the protection of the mob behind him, <laughs> which is a far cry away from what poker is today. Um, he dropped out of school in um, the 60s when he was uh, in his teens to play gin rummy. Um, and by kind of the mid-70s, he was he was on top of the, the gin rummy world. Um, interestingly, he then at some point moved to Las Vegas. Um, we believe this is this was to escape gambling debts. Um, one of the things we'll learn about Stu is that he was a massive degenerate. So even though he was he was a genius, he would lose it all on the track or on sports betting, and he was a heavy, heavy drug user. So he moved to uh, New York and got a challenge from a guy called Harry Stein, who was considered one of the best gin players in the world. Um, Unger beat Stein 68 games to zero in a high stakes game of gin, which is, is something pretty damn special. Your, your edge in gin isn't that high, uh, <laughs> which probably shows you kind of the way it was back then. It's not like now where everyone's on the internet. Back then, pe people played in like their local scenes and someone who was considered one of the best in the world may have just been the best in their area. And, um, you know, the gap between someone who was good in their area and who was genuinely world-class or playing the game close to optimally was just so wide back then. And then, um, obviously, he started playing poker in, in, um, in, in, in Las Vegas. The reason he started playing poker was because his gin action essentially um, dried up. So just about the time where uh, Stu's kind of gin action was kind of drying out in Las Vegas, he would offer his opponents like these massive handicaps. He would let his opponents see the last card in the deck, offer rebates to defeated opponents, and allow his opponents to play on the button on the dealer position, which all of which you know put him on a strong uh, tactical disadvantage. And even then, his his gin action would just dry up. Many casinos banned him from um, entering gin tournaments in their casinos because they argued that he just drove, drove away business. You know, they, they made more money with him not playing, basically. And then he took up um, No Limit Texas Hold'em. And uh, in 1980 and 1981, he won two back-to-back -back World Series main event titles. Now, back in these days, only about 40 players played the tournament, but still, winning back-to-back -back in a poker tournament would... Um, you know, it's pretty impressive. Um, in 1980, he beat legend Doyle Bronson and became the youngest champion in history. And this was um, surpassed by Phil Hellmuth in 1989 and then afterwards others. And then he won in 1981, defeating Perry Green. And uh, he was nearly not allowed to defend this title. Several, several days before the main event, he was banned from the casino, uh, Binions, by... Uh, because he spat in the face of a dealer after losing a, a sizable pot in a high stakes uh, game. 
And then Binion, who owned the casino, his son Jack interceded and let the uh, let 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 uh, Unger play, saying that the media attention uh, would be would be great for the casino and everything like that. Um, and then in 1981, he won a seven draw event for ten grand a world a World Series bracelet, beating uh, Bobby Baldwin, who's another legend of the game. Um, heads up. The problem with well, we'll move on to, to, to Stewie's problems in a minute. But what made what made him so good at poker? And what, what made him such, you know, so ahead of the field back then? Well, from all, it, it's difficult. From, from all reports, Stu played um, a hyper-aggressive, kind of loose-aggressive style. He was playing much, much closer to the way people play today than back then. Back then, people were just nits. They just were played tight, basically, and waited for people to make mistakes. And... You know, Stu was able to exploit the best players in the world by just hammering them, just, just, you know, playing hyper aggressive, little little regard for money, played high variance style, which, as we know now, is just just correct. And um, we'll we'll move on to 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 Stu's problems in a minute, but Stu also was a prodigy at blackjack, so it's it's reported that um, Stu had a prodigy level IQ and total recall. So. When you hear this kind of stuff, you kind of, I kind of guffaw at it, you know, uh, these, sim- simply put, most of the time you hear this type of stuff, I think, well, Stu's just a smart kid in kind of a world of gambling dregs, really. No one back then was really that good, and it wouldn't really take much for someone to be much, much better than them. That's not taking away from his genius. Uh, obviously, to play this way and to, to be so good at cards back then was, was extremely impressive. But to prove that he did have total recall, um, Stu was able to count, count cards in blackjack and was a winning blackjack player. And uh, in 1977, he won a bet of $1,000 Um from a guy called Bob Stupak. He um, oh, he owned a few casinos in, in Las Vegas and Bob bet um, Stu that he couldn't count a six deck shoe. So that's six decks of cards at once and um, determine what the final card in the shoe was. And Uger, uh, uh, Unger won that bet. So Unger was able to count six decks of cards, which is which is an undeniable feat. I mean, really good, to give you an idea, really good card counters today can maybe count two or three decks. Um, to, to count six just proves that the guy just had perfect recall. Um, he, there was also, I laugh at this one, in 1997, um, Unger, who was broke by this time, I'll, I'll explain why in a second, managed to convince the management of a casino in Las Vegas called the Lady Luck Hotel to let him play single deck blackjack. And, uh, I mean, any decent player, any decent card player could learn to count a single deck of cards. Never mind Stu Unger. And um, the hotel casino decided to handicap Unger by taking away the... um, the, the no limit or the, the, the different sizes of bets so he would only allowed to to bet one size now this this kind of disadvantages the player because what a card counter will do in blackjack is when the deck is hot for the player they will start upping their bets obviously when they win the decks in their favor however with a single with a single deck of, of, of playing cards the advantage is still substantially with the player and he made his bankroll up to three hundred thousand dollars. Um, in that game over six months and then lost it all um, 
on the casino floor and at the horses and things like that. He was just a gambling addict. The guy, the guy just could, couldn't couldn't let away, couldn't let action get away. Of course, through all this, um, Stu was a massive drug addict. His his drug of choice was cocaine, among all other kind of drugs. Kind of um, just in that world, um, repeatedly like didn't t- turn up to tournaments. Things like that. Um, when uh, in 1998, um, he actually got staked for the World Series of Poker. He'd been off the idol game for a few years at this point. And um, Billy Baxter, sorry, in 97, he, he got staked by Billy Baxter for $10,000 and he won the tournament and split it with Baxter. And then within six months, he he had he had lost the money. He had he'd spent all the money at the track and on drugs. Then the next year came around, 1998, Baxter, um, you know, staked him again. However, um, Unger fell asleep halfway through day one because he'd been up for 24 hours trying to scrounge money for the entry fee. And, uh, you know, him and Mike Sexton, who was a close friend as well, kind of shook him and he managed to get through day one. He did not turn up for day two. He, he was laying on the hotel floor with an overdose and they blinded him out and he actually came ninth he actually made the final table of that tournament despite not turning up for day two uh but Unger survived that that uh that um that experience but a few a few months later in November 1998 Unger was tragically found in a cheap motel room um uh dead just passed away um he had only 800 bucks in his pocket. Um, he, they did the autopsy and they, they did find drugs in his system, though they, they said he didn't die of an overdose, but he, he had probably died of a heart attack um, from, from overuse and things like that over the years. Um, if you ever see pictures of Stu Unger, especially in the 90s, he wears these kind of big round, you know, like John Lennon sunglasses. And you'll see in some of the later pictures that he can barely even rest them on his nose because his nose is like, down to a little tiny stub because he's just taken so much coke over the years um but yeah just a crazy character he he didn't even have a social security number or a bank account until he, he won uh the world series of poker in 1980 and he was forced to to declare, declare the taxes you know um famously he would even he turned up to a a uh, an airport to go go to a poker tournament and didn't even have a passport didn't know he needed to have a passport and the the official said you know for a small fee we can go ahead and push the forms through and Stu thought this was a uh you know soliciting a bribe and Stu said no problem took a couple of hundred dollar bills out of his pocket slid slid the the money to the official and then all hell broke loose as as you know he was being accused of bribing a public official and but that was all all smoothed out he he never had he never had a, a bank account until later in life. He would just keep his money around around Las Vegas in little safe deposit boxes, and he would say, you know, what's the, what's the point in having a bank account? Can I go in and get my money at you know, uh, you know, midnight? Of course, this was before ATMs, but um, he he didn't see it as um, he didn't see it as practical. And he did, didn't. He, his wife even reported that he didn't know how to bank how a bank account worked. He would write a check, and he believed that the check would be honored. It was like a, an IOU rather than having me needed to have the money in the bank account for the check to clear. Um, but yeah, that, that's um, Stu Unger. You can read his um, autobiography. I'll find that out for you now. It is... 
one of a kind, the rise and fall of Stewie the Kid Unger, the world's greatest poker player. There's an ESPN documentary, uh, like a movie called High Roller, the Stu Unger story. I would highly recommend it. And then he was inducted into the Poker Hall of Fame in 2001, posthumously. His achievements then in poker, um, he won the No Limit Hold'em World Championship in 1980. In 1981, he won a bracelet in Deuce to 7-Draw in 1981. Won a bracelet in 7-Card Stud in 83. And then in 97, he, he won the, the main event as well. So he's, he's won the main event three times. Again, back then, only 50 players played it or something. But he has five bracelets. And one of my favourite quotes from him was... Uh, he was talking in this quote about how good he was at gin, but he was saying, quote, Someday, I suppose it's possible for someone to be better than me at Lola Hold'em. I doubt it, but it could happen. But I swear to you, I don't see anyone, I don't see how anyone could ever play the game of gin better than me. Um, I like it because it's the way he says, you know, I, it, it may be possible for, some, for someone to be better at No Limit Hold'em than him. To, to give you some context, of course, any professional player would just light Stu up, you know, in the modern age. And the game is much, much different. But, yeah, Magic doesn't have those kind of characters in its past, really. Um, well, it, it does to, to an extent, but not quite as colourful and as charming and as lovable a rogue as Stu Unger. So, hope you enjoyed the show and the after show this, this week, guys. Take care. Bye-bye.